Hi everyone, welcome back to the Deutsche Grammophon International Podcast Series. I'm Sarah Willis, passionate podcaster, and when I'm not playing my French horn somewhere around the world, I just love podcasting with the Yellow Label's star-studded cast of musicians. My podcast guest today invites us to a Viennese soiree with his new album for Deutsche Grammophon, featuring solo pieces for piano, which he has all chosen himself. For me, he's the epitome of all things Viennese, and I'm really looking forward to our podcast soiree with him today. Rudolf Buchbinder, servus. Welcome to the Deutsche Grammophon International Podcast Series. Good morning, good evening. Good whatever. morning, good evening. Yes, wherever people are listening from. You are in Nantes right now, so we have been trying to set up the wonders of modern technology. What do you think of all this, uh, this new world of doing podcasts via Zoom and recording with your iPhone? It's more than a musician should have to cope with. Uh, it goes very, very fast, a little bit too fast uh, to be able to realize everything. You know, it's for me, it's a little bit too fast. Yeah. Well, this morning we had our, our, our few problems, but we are here thanks to the modern technology. It's lovely to see you. And I would love to talk about your new album coming, coming out yeah. with Deutsche Grammophon. Uh, it's very exciting because it's all about a soiree. You know, unfortunately... This kind of soiree, or we call it house music, this doesn't exist anymore in this form what, what, what used to be some years ago. You know, it was it's been a dream for me to participate also in one of these soirees. But can you imagine who was playing there? Liszt, Beethoven, Mozart, Schubert, everybody was playing, improvising. The friends asked him, can you play that and this and this? And it was uh, completely free. And I think this kind of atmosphere we are missing today. I absolutely agree. I mean, I wish they had had YouTube in those days so we could have films of what they did at these soirees because it must have been incredible to sit there and, and just participate and say, oh, play me this piece, play me this piece. Yeah, that's who, right. who would be your ideal soiree partners, your ideal house music partners? Look, uh, when, I, when you compare, for instance, Mozart and Beethoven, uh, it was, was always written, the Meister fantasiert, not improvisiert, the Meister fantasiert. This was Beethoven. He was a genius in improvisation for hours he could play. Mozart too. Mozart was also able. But the big difference between these two composers that uh, Beethoven only made it private when some of his colleagues played one of his pieces and he played something different, he was furious, Beethoven. It has to be played like it is written. This is completely different to Mozart. Mozart was improvising on stage, what Beethoven never did, with his own works. He was improvising, but not of his own work. But Mozart, he played it each time different, you know. Thanks God, we have one example how he was improvising the Mozart sonata Köchl 332 in F major. And in the second movement, he brought to his pupil some ideas how to make the reprise different to the exposition. So this is a little document how he would have improvised, but whatever. 
It, it really is incredible. I mean, the, these days you hear improvisation in genres like jazz and Latin American music, but that the composers who we have their music written down for us these days, but actually what they did with it themselves was sometimes completely different. How do we know that Mozart used to completely do different things in his piece? Did he write it down afterwards? Some things is written down, and of course we know a lot from his, from his friends. Also from the friends of Beethoven, we know a lot how he played. For instance, I'm still improvising when I play a Mozart piano concerto, and there's a fermata or a, a little cadenza. It's, each time it's different. Once it happened in Paris some years ago, it was the birthday of my wife, so I played hip, uh, happy birthday to you in the cadenza. Everybody was laughing. I think Mozart would have loved that as well. Oh, yes, yes. Yeah. <laughs> so Mozart would be one of your favorite soiree partners. Oh, oh no, also Beethoven. Liszt was a genius, of course. Whoever you know, you can take any name. Maybe, maybe in the future, people will say they would like you to be their soiree partner yes. because of your improvising in the music. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> I would love to do it. This this album is a Viennese soiree because you, as for me, you are the epitome of a Viennese gentleman, and even Thank in you. The, it's a compliment. Thank you. <laughs> Even in the new booklet, there's a picture of you drinking your your Großen Braunen, your Viennese coffee. I like the Viennese coffee atmosphere. You know, the coffee atmosphere in Vienna got the tradition because the apartments were too small. So the people met, the friends met in the cafe house. And you must know, you order a coffee and the waiter brings you a glass of water. When this glass of water is empty, he brings another glass, sometimes 10 or 20, but only with one cup of coffee. <laughs> and in, in Vienna, for our listeners who don't know this, in Vienna, I was most astonished when I went out for my first coffee there and my friend, who was a horn player in the Vienna Philharmonic, said he wanted ein klein braunen, which means a small brown one. And that's, yeah. that's, you just know what that is. It's like uh, an Italian ordering a, an espresso, right? Just to get that. You know, in Vienna, we have... I dozens of different kinds of coffee. Uh, and for longer, a long one, uh, a double one. You know, there's this famous joke in Vienna, uh, four, four men sitting in the coffee shop, and the waiter asked the four men, what do you drink? One said, one espresso. The other one said, a kleiner browner. This, this third one, a big browner. And the other one said, a cappuccino. So the waiter goes to the kitchen and he writes, four coffee. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, it's really a truly a part of, of, of true Viennese life. But this a soiree would be in the evening, wouldn't it? A soiree or, or, would it, or could it be at any time of day? A Viennese soiree, what, what should we imagine with this? It's also combined with some food and some drinks, of course. The drinks, hopefully, after the soiree, not before. It was just to meet and together, to be together for a good evening with music with some kind of talk and with food and drinks. In the Palopkowitz or the Michnowski or the Kinski, whatever. There are enough parties in Vienna. <laughs> 
Would you say you chose the music for this album with this sort of get together with the food and drink and the, 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 the sharing? Is this what this repertoire is exactly chosen for? I mean, we start and we end with two bookends of Vienna, uh, which I love, the, the Strauss at the beginning. Um, more Viennese you can't get. Uh, and the rest of the album, I mean, you have, you have so many, I think a word that I read used to describe it was effervescent. I don't know what the, what's the word even in, in German, sprudelnd. Uh, uh-huh. Incredibly, incredibly beautiful. I mean, uh, I must say congratulations. There are so many fast notes on this album. Incredible. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, I try to avoid this word. It's light music. It's not a light music. It's a very serious classical music. All these pieces. For instance, Johann Strauss, for me, one of the greatest genius, but unfortunately, he didn't write anything for the piano. Uh, so we are forced to play these transcriptions of my colleagues, but as, as you see on this recording, uh, like from Grünfeld or from Schulhof, very good uh, transcriptions of melodies of Johann Strauss. I, I read that you said that Johann Strauss, um, that it was music devoid of whipped cream. And I love that quote because it seemed like, you know, it's like people think Johann Strauss is so light. But as you say, I mean, he used to compose in a darkened room, didn't he? He was not a very light person. But when we uh, absolutely Walser, not. It's, it is what I said before. It's an absolute wrong description to, be, to talk about light music. Just this genius of, of Johann Strauss, how many different melodies you can hear in each waltz of him. So other composers live a life with one waltz. You know? But this kind of music, I think it uh, has a bad, how do you say? Reputation. Yeah. I try to fight against this uh, reputation that it's light music. It's hard, though, because we, we all see it on the 1st of, of January, you know, at the traditional concert, and everyone's clap, clap, and happy, happy. And it, it's great we, that we, outside of, of Austria, we associate Johann Strauss with happy music. That's why I'm interested to hear, hear what you say, because, you know, there's a lot of melancholy in there as well, but it's so beautiful. Yeah, it's, you know, when you go, for instance, uh, to the Heilige, in Vienna, the famous wine places, and you hear the music, the Heilige music, it's always talking about death. Death, and so it's not so such a funny, light music, also not the Heilige music. And this is a really a wrong reputation for this music. But I must say, when I listened to you open your album, I was happy. I, I loved it. And, <laughs> and I was just wondering, what is it about Viennese? I mean, I'm a horn player, you know, and I've had these discussions with my friends from the Vienna Philharmonic, why we cannot play the offbeats like they do. It's just, why is it that a, a Viennese waltz only sounds proper when a true Viennese person plays it? Why is that? I have many colleagues and conductors also, they are very good maestros for waltzes from Vienna, even if they are not Viennese. You just have to have this feeling. One, two, three, one, two. Two comes a little bit earlier, and three comes a little bit later. It's, it's like it's, it's like one, two, and maybe three. No, no, one, two, three. <laughs> three. Yeah, that's but you, one, but two. you also have to dance like that. You of know? course. 
It's important to be able to dance it to feel it, right? That's yeah, you cannot, you, you cannot dance one, two, three, one, two, three. No, one, two, three, one, two, three. Are you a good waltz dancer? Uh, perhaps I used to be now. Yes, <laughs> I love to dance. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, I think it's, it's, it's very important to feel that no matter what type of music you're playing. If it was written for a dance, your body should feel how the dance goes. But, you know, I still find it hard as a British French horn player to play those... Nachschläge, we call them these offbeats, Aha. in the right place. It's hard. <laughs> I make you a good Vorschlag. Very good. Okay. How's, what's that? How can I do that to learn to dance it? The question is also, do you dance it onto, to the right side or to the left side? I was never able to uh, dance a left waltz, always right, which is not the original. Oh, okay. We need a whole other podcast about Viennese waltzes I can hear. Um, but back to your soiree, your Viennese soiree. How did Chopin get in there? I mean, Chopin uh, is, is incredible. He spent some time in Vienna, didn't he? How did yeah. you choose the pieces? Because, you know, the waltzes of Chopin are completely different. Very, very sensitive, very deep, very sad. And... Chopin was a little bit upset about his days in Vienna because he was uh, accepted as pianist, but not as composer at that time. Therefore, he left Vienna. He uh, just went to a doctor in Vienna. But this music was a part also of the soirees, of course. His waltzes, his mazurkas, and his small pieces are the ideal, is the ideal repertoire for a soiree, of course. Of course, but hard to play. To play it good. That's you all. need acrobatic fingers. I mean, I, I'm sorry if I keep going back to all these fast notes, but as a horn player, we only use three fingers, you know, four sometimes. So I, <laughs> I'm, whenever I hear what pianists can do, I'm always, I'm, I'm a little nostalgic because I had the choice to be a pianist or a horn player and I chose horn and I'm very glad I did. But you pianists, you have to practice a lot more than, than we horn players do. And we have to use both hands. You're only one. Well, the other one gets, ours gets stuffed yeah. up the bell for the sound, <laughs> but it's a lot more, uh, it stays a lot more still than yours. Is it true that you only practice half an hour a day or is that a myth? No, uh, you know, I never was able to practice six hours. If I would have practiced six hours through my whole life, I wouldn't be able to play in my age today. My fingers are like sportsmen, but when you finish is age 30, 35, and I'm still able to play Brahms Concerti much better, much easier today than 10 years ago, because I had a very economic way of practicing. I only practiced when I was able to concentrate with my whole body. I was never sitting at home just to play etudes up, up and down, up and down. You just ruin your fingers, that's all. That's an incredible piece of advice because for young players, people seem to have the mentality, we have to practice all these hours and then we'll be good. But this economic way of practicing, really only practicing what's, what's necessary and in a relaxed way, you see so many people with injuries these days. You know, as a pianist, you want to play as long as you live. And this you have to think about. When you practice and not the whole body, up to down, is involved in the practicing, concentration. Don't sit at the piano, read a book, it's much better. Yeah, people don't even read books these days. <laughs> they watch Netflix. <laughs> I, st I still write all letters with my hand. I think that's great. 
Now, it's really interesting to hear that advice as, as well as a horn player and, and a teacher. I see so many people coming with damage to their lips and I say, you know, oh, well, I practice six hours. I would not be able to play for a month afterwards. But it's so important what you say. So thank you. Thank you for that. I'm glad I asked because I did read there was a myth that you only practice half an hour a day, which half I'm sure you practice. Sometimes a little, little bit more than half an hour. I mean, young students need to learn repertoire and get the right technique. But it's a proof that you and Daniel Barenboim and these pianists and, you know, Polini, everyone, they, they, they've, they must have a great technique because they're still playing fantastic piano. And, uh, and, it's, yes. and that's why uh, the younger generation wants to know what your secret is. Everybody has his secrets <laughs> and, they're all, and they're all different. But this is why we do a podcast to try and find out as many secrets as we can. <laughs> Maybe if I'd practiced the piano better when I was younger, I would be able to play Chopin waltzes now. Tell me about Beethoven and Bach. They got into your soiree as well. Yes, I tell you know, Beethoven had so much humor. And when you listen to the Bagatelle, this is also Beethoven. He was not only, only the Titan. You know, Mozart wrote Don Giovanni, the most tragic opera, and not Beethoven and nobody else. So when people say Mozart is a light music, I cannot agree with this. But uh, Beethoven was a very important part of all the soirees in Vienna. And he, he was invited from, from Lichnowsky, from Lobkowitz, from Kinski, from all the people who also paid him, of course. So you have also Schumann and Schubert at your soirée. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And Schumann in a transcription by Franz Liszt. Die Widmung. This was the present for, the, for Clara for the wedding. And I think it's, it's a very deep, it goes so deep, this music. And the text, of course. Du meine Seele, du mein Herz. Du meine Wonne, du mein Schmerz. Fantastic. Stunningly beautiful. And I think that is for a little bit later on in the evening in the soiree when everyone's getting a bit more, you know, thinking about things. I've had a few glasses of wine, just thinking no. about life and death and love. But this text reminds me also of the love letters of Beethoven. Nobody writes today like him. Ewig dein, ewig mein, ewig uns. Beautiful. I would like to get a love letter like that. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Instead, you get a you get a text with a smiley face and a love heart. That's today's love letter. Schade. It's a shame. <laughs> it's a shame. Yeah. So, and this CD, you ask me about Schumann Schubert. I play some album piece by Schubert, but also a transcription, which listed this last piece, the Soiree de Vienne. Yes. And it's beautiful you end also with Vienna because it's like two bookends, you know, you start and finish. And in the middle, all these favorite pieces, did you, you chose them? How, how did you choose them? You sat down and said, this yeah, yeah. is what I want at my soiree. This is, one, this is part of my repertoire. And I was thinking and thinking what, what is good to use for this CD. And the start with the Soiree de Vienne and the end with the Soiree de Vienne. You are notoriously not a fan of recording. You prefer the live experience. Your Beethoven Absolutely. album for Deutsche Grammophon was live. The, the sonatas were live. Uh, yes. So what about this album? Uh, this album had to be in the studio <laughs> because you cannot make a recital with all these pieces. You can use some pieces as an encore. Why is that? Why, why couldn't you make a recital with these pieces? You can make perhaps the second half. Of course, with, with the four albums of Schubert, is a, it's one of the main pieces in my repertoire, no question. But 
as an encore, the ideal encores, each of them, the, the Militia Marsh, Militia Marsh by Franz Schubert from uh, Tausig transcriptionist. It is a genius composition. Very difficult, unfortunately. Okay, so they're not all. I would I would come to a recital of all of those, but it would be a lot of work for the audience to clap because yeah. that's a lot yeah. of clapping after each well, one. After three, four minutes, you have to clap. <laughs> <laughs> I can imagine in Japan or somewhere they that would that would really be the bestseller. You could do uh, sold out be, yeah. Suntory Hall, one week long only encores of Vienna Soiree. <laughs> but in the studio, you you still have to. I know what it's like. You have to get yourself into that feeling of a live performance. It's not so easy. Um, sometimes. You know what. The main, there's three main things which are missing in the studio. This is spontaneity, emotion, and nervous. You are not nervous in the studio. And this little uh, salt is missing sometimes. But I was nervous enough for this recording with the encores. Would you be nervous in a soiree, do you think? I'm sure. I'm getting, I'm always nervous before each concert. And I'm getting more nervous and more nervous the older I am. How do you work against that? Is it routine? Is it no, knowing it'll no. be okay? This, this word routine has nothing to do with our profession. You are not able to do anything against it. Uh, Lori Marcel told me about, because he was also nervous, he was one of my favorite conductors. He said to me, Ruby, just concentrate on the first note. Everything else comes out of and when you sit in the artist room and you have a piano, never play or practice the pieces what you are going to play in the concert. Can you imagine something happens in the artist room? How do you go on stage? So play everything else but not these pieces. That's good advice. I mean, we horn players, we play the Siegfried Hornruf a million times the high C before we go on stage and play it just to make sure it's there. So that's very good advice. Next time I play a concerto, I will I will play some Chopin or some Strauss. Everything, anything else. <laughs> that's really good advice. Herr Buchbinder, it's been really fantastic talking to you. And uh, I, I know people are going to love this this new album of yours. I so, so I have a last question. What would you serve as food and drink at your soiree with your composers, with Strauss, with Schubert, with Schumann, with Beethoven? I would start with a good scotch on the rocks and then later with a good Bordeaux red wine. And perhaps some cheese, some snakes. Sounds perfect to me. It would be a good menu. (laughs) Will I be invited? You are for sure invited for any soiree. Thank you so much. It's been absolutely lovely talking to you. And uh, we appreciated having you on the Deutsche Grammophon International Podcast and hope to see you soon in Vienna auf ein Kleinbraun. Ja, und auf ein Großen. Thank you so much. Merci. Thank you. Thank you. Bye bye. And one last thing. If you've enjoyed this podcast with Rudolf Buchbinder and would like to hear past podcasts like it with fabulous guests, or you want to find out about future ones, subscribe to us wherever you listen to your podcasts from. I'm Sarah Willis, and I would love you to join us. See you next time. Bye-bye.